The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Greetings and welcome to Capital Weekly's weekly podcast. I'm John Howard, the editor of Capital Weekly. I'm joined by Tim Foster. Hello. And veteran political strategist Mike Madrid. Not that veteran. Okay. The youthful, (laughs) dynamic strategist Mike Madrid. and uh, The rising star, the up and coming. (laughs) Thank you very much. 40 under 40. uh, 40 under 40. We're trying to make sense out of the election as we have been for the last I don't, couple of weeks, and we're trying to figure it out. And I thought one piece of this maybe you could help us with. We wanted to chat about Latino politics. Mm-hmm. You're sort of nationally known as an expert here. Uh, a couple things: um, was there a a surge of anti-Trump feeling among Latinos, or was it not what you expected, or more than you expected? Yes, yes, and yes. And let me kind of explain what I mean by that. There's clearly uh, the Trump effect, as I think is probably a good way to characterize it, certainly mobilized the Latino vote nationally in a way that we haven't seen uh, since some of us veterans were doing this back in 1994 with the Pete Wilson campaign and Proposition 187. But uh, the intensity that we were seeing with the Latino vote didn't materialize in as significant an increase in turnout as we had thought. In fact, we're seeing about a 1% increase nationally from 2012. What had you expected? What did, or had oh, five, six points I oh, mean, okay. easily. I mean, the, the, the popular narrative of what was going on, the fact that Trump began his campaign basically attacking the community, yeah. the 24-hour, you know, for a year, 24 hours a day on Univision and Telemundo, the anti-Trump rhetoric, every Latino leader in, you know, the country was, you mm-hmm. know, kind of uh, called to arms here. We'd have expected at least a five-point bump. Did it spike at all and then go down and go up? Well, what happened was was in Florida specifically, there was a number of organizations which affiliated with the Democratic Party and the Clinton campaign that were arguing there was a huge surge in Florida specifically. Uh And there was, actually. Florida's instituted a larger, uh, uh, a longer period of early voting. The problem is what happened was the surge stopped on Election Day. And so what happened was, while you were seeing very large numbers of Latino voters voting and early voting, it collapsed on Election Day, which really tells us as a political professional what it means is there was a lot of work done by the Clinton campaign to bank, quote-unquote, bank those votes by having Election Day voters vote early, vote by mail, Uh or show up at the polling place a couple days earlier, and they didn't expand their reach. So they literally spent millions of dollars moving their Election Day voters to early voters. It looked like a surge but when all uh, the dust settled, there was no difference. So in terms of quantity, it wasn't that much a change. No. It was a change in timing. Correct. And I think uh-huh. that just speaks to a broader, broader problem that the Clinton campaign had with the intensity. Is there something, I mean, is, does that, is there a lesson there about early voting, good or bad? Yeah. Uh, well, look, this has been a problem for 25 years that I've been doing campaigns. You know, the early 90s was when we started to see vote-by-mail programs in California begin to increase. And there's always been a strategic decision that you have to make as a campaign is how much resources do we want to put in in banking these, you know, and and going after these early voters. Because you may be uh, spending a lot of precious time and money Mm -hmm. in moving people who are voting on Election Day into the mailbox. And it doesn't mean you're persuading or increasing your vote turnout. Uh You're just spending a lot of money moving the, the, the voters around. Um, and and most most campaign operatives and consultants know this, 
but not all of them, even at the highest levels of the campaign. And clearly the Clinton campaign didn't understand this dynamic. Mm -hmm. And I think it obviously came back to bite him uh, in the butt. But um, as, as, as we are seeing more early voting behavior, it doesn't necessarily mean that we are seeing the largest numbers of voters casting their ballots the day that they get their ballot or even in the first week. As we get closer to Election Day, more and more people are returning their ballots. Political data tracks this information now. We didn't have this information even a few cycles ago. What we see is a gradual increase of the number of ballots being cast as the closer we get to Election Day. Is there any partisan difference? I mean, can you come to no, partisan No, I mean, it's basically, no, no. We used to, you know, we used to be kind of conventional wisdom in the 80s. It was all a bunch of, you know, old white Republicans that yeah. were voting by mail. That's really not true anymore. What we do know is that... Um, Day of elections and high turnout elections, presidentials, uh, the vote breaks very strongly towards the Democrat. And you're seeing that oh. play out in California. Mm -hmm. uh, the Ling Ling Chang's race in the Senate seat. Now yeah, we're just talking down. about that this one. Those provisional ballots, I mean, those are, you know, 60% yeah. Democrat, if not higher. Can you uh, speak to the Trump effect ahead. in California? I can. I mean, the main thing that I think that was most interesting, I was a lot of reporters were calling, talking about the Democrat strategy of trying to uh, tie Trump to all the candidates down ticket. And I was saying there was no empirical data suggesting that that's going to work anywhere in the country. In fact, what we were seeing nationally was uh, everywhere in the country was Republicans down ticket were dramatically overperforming the top of the ticket. So Marco Rubio was 10, 12 points ahead of Trump in Florida, for example. Republicans were putting away the Senate race in Ohio at the same time the Trump campaign was, quote, unquote, collapsing. Well, that, in hindsight, what we know is pollsters were not getting an accurate read from voters who were who were going to vote for Trump and they weren't telling them the truth is essentially what happened, right? The other part is, and, and this is the fundamental mistake I think that was made in this state. I think most reporters thought I was just kind of spinning them, but I was saying from the beginning, it's a big, big mistake for the Democrats trying to tie Trump to, to quote-unquote define a Trump Republican. I think that largely bore out, and here's why. That was a state Democratic strategy, right? It was here. a state Democratic strategy here in California, yeah. and I think it was a very flawed strategy. Uh -huh. I think if that had run on issues, they would have probably picked up more seats than they did mm -hmm. because of the turnout numbers in California. Um, and again, I think it's the second time the Democratic Party has really made very big tactical errors. I shared some of the last time with you during the Kashkari yeah. race at your, at your post-mortem. But the reason why it didn't work um, is because... Trump was an anti-establishment candidate. He was an anti-Republican candidate. And he is mm -hmm. so unique that nobody believed that he was the typical Republican. In fact, his success was because he was not a typical Republican. So for the Democrats, yeah. as consultants, uh, somebody was quoting the time saying it was really lazy consulting. I think it was very lazy political consulting. Huh. I also don't think anybody's data was saying that this was working down ticket. They probably had three or four other issues that were better that Democratic consultants should have been attacking Republicans on. And if they had done that, they probably would have, I think, put more seats into play. I think it was a big mistake, tactical so, error. Do Republicans come home to the fold? Do they come back? They did, and they have. And they were doing that actually even in the primary. Even though Republican oh. numbers were depressed in the primary, yeah. uh, what we were seeing is the people that didn't show up were people who were just not going to vote for Donald Trump. They just decided not to show up. Those that did, the Republican base was overwhelmingly secure. Uh -huh about the California primary in June, and most polling showed that, uh, where it started to collapse a little bit uh, was during the TMZ video when Republicans shook off a little bit and you saw kind of the Republican establishment freak out. People were unendorsing them before they re-endorsed them 48 hours later. Um, the Republican base came home, mm -hmm. and whether it was pro-Trump um, or anti-Hillary, my, my guess is it was, it was both, um, but I think you had to have these two candidates 
uh, on the same ballot in order for that you know kind of toxic mix to actually work, but it, it did. If Hillary Clinton was not the candidate, I think we'd be talking about a very different election result. Mm -hmm. What do you see is the relationship now between California mm -hmm. and you know blue California and the Trump administration? We, we're, we're posting a story today. We haven't done it yet on educate higher education differences with the Trump administra administration and the chancellors and mm -hmm. the president of the school system, CSU, UC. This is a big problem. My biggest worry for California going forward is... And that's about immigration, by the way. That's yeah. About I mean, well, we can talk about it. the same, same issues, immigration, higher education. We can talk about water. We can talk about climate change. We can talk about, you know, Affordable Care Act. We can talk about all these things because the, I, I'm worried for California because we are going to show that... Um, as petulant and obnoxious as Texas was during the Obama years, we are going to be that 10, 20-fold. Mm -hmm. um, but I, we're already petulant and obnoxious. I feel that way. We don't, well, uh, we're con that just condescending. Me? I think in California it's more condescending <laughs> okay. or righteous. Are you talking about CalExit? Yeah, <laughs> in part. And I think that that's, I mean, I think part of it, and it's frankly it's, it's embarrassing for being outside the state to, to actually think that that's a legitimate you know, yeah. uh, way to, to Why be does anybody cover that? This is a media question, but it, it's well, ridiculous. You tell me. I mean, you probably, I'll have you on my podcast next and we can talk about it's it. It's basically, well, I mean, click, it's uh, like, why do you cover the, the state of Jefferson pulling out? I mean, well, that's my question is, does, I mean, we, it's so very California to not think these things out and just be so reactionary. What happens with the 26 states that voted for, counties that voted for Trump? Do they have to go with California when they'd <laughs> probably right. rather be? That's where all the food's made, that's where all the energy's produced. I just right? want to know what happens to the Colorado River. Basically, are they just going to say, sure, we'll just, you can keep having We take the river line. with us. That's and, a week. And then what happened to the Jefferson counties? And do we really want yeah. to get involved in this kind of a discussion? Are we really thinking it through? Or are we just kind of so shocked at what happened? So I think California's going to get decidedly more progressive. And I think, um, ironically, the state that really, I think, embodied the FDR coalition and, and really built what I think was the working class base in this country, especially in the post-World War II era, and also became what was really, I think, the the most illustrative example of the Obama coalition mm -hmm. uh, has 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 really, I think, uh, hollowed out uh, those two. The convergence of those two coalitions don't work, and I think you're hearing people like Bernie Sanders say that. And there's real problems with uh, talking to working class people. Um, progressives are different than liberals. You know, back when I was a kid, you would say liberal, and it was a bad word, and um, we now call them progressives, but the progressive movement is really about social issues. It really lacks an economic message. There's nothing to attract working class folks. Mm -hmm. And barring that, um, you are going to continue... Although, to be fair, I think the Dems and the progressives are still attracting working class votes from people of color. White and that's, that's a very important distinction because uh, while that's a very small segment of the working class and it's very geographically isolated in states like California, it's also very racially tinged. And so there has never been an economic agenda advocated for Latinos, for example, in America, and certainly not in California. Uh, it's all been racially charged rhetoric where it's you vote for the Democrats because the Republicans hate you. Uh, that works once every 20 years. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work as a sustainable strategy, and that's why I think you're seeing this hollowing out of the progressive base. This identity <laughs> politics, uh, this uh, seems to be the overall strategy of the, of the Clinton campaign yeah. was that. Yeah. Sort of this. So what does that bode then for the future? I mean, she, get, she did get a plurality of the votes. I think it's 1.7 million, 1.7 million. She got a majority of the votes. Uh, or majority. Well, she got more. So what's that bode for the future? 
Um, well, look, I think it's it's both good and bad, and I think both parties are in probably the worst position that they've ever been in. Ironically, I mean, hmm. the Republican Party is in a very commanding place. Uh, if you look at just the sheer size uh, of the number of offices that it holds nationally, yeah. But I think it's probably in its weakest position, ironically. And we can you know, talk about that if you want to. But look, long term, I think the coalition is probably good for the Democrats um, because America is changing. But that, that assumes one really big assumption, and that is people's voting behavior is going to stay the same, and it's not. Well, we're already saying, look, Donald Trump outpolled Mitt Romney amongst Latinos. Now, it wasn't by a big number, but... Donald, let me say that again for your listeners at home. <laughs> Donald Trump got more Latino votes as a percentage in hard numbers yeah. than Mitt Romney. Uh, that, is ve- that is a very significant finding as somebody who watches these races and watches this vote very closely. It's telling us. So why do you think that is? Well, and I also think that, uh, you know, we talked about this, this, you know, silent vote for Trump and people not willing to tell pollsters how they felt. Imagine if you're a Latino who's voting for Trump. There's no way you're going to convey that you were supporting yeah. him. Um, it had, I don't think it was very much different than it was with the rest of the electorate. You have a, a party, the Democratic Party, that does not have a working class agenda. Um, you've got immigration issues, which affect especially the recently migrated very distinctly. Uh, one of the things I've always studied is minority conservatives, because whatever reason you're conservative, you know why it is, and you're not going to budge, whether it's you're pro-life or you're a small business owner or you're pro-military mm-hmm. or whatever your reasons are, uh, you know. If you're a Latino Republican, trust me, it wasn't a mistake. You know why you're a Latino Republican, and I don't know why that is. It could be varied, but you know why, and there's no amount of money that's going to change your opinion on that. So the, but the assumption that uh, many make is that your ethnicity, your race, is a determinant of your vote. Well, that's the danger of and that's identity happened politics. this election. That's, the, that's what's the danger. That's the real danger and kind of the um, – Everything coming full circle yeah. for the Democrats is if you continue to play that game, um, it's going to eat you up yeah. because it's not a long-term strategy. It's a very dangerous strategy, not just for party politics but for society, and that's what we're seeing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Mike Madrid, thank you very much. Pleasure. Thanks for uh, thanks for uh, ch- chatting with us. Yeah. So on behalf of Tim Foster. Yeah, thanks, thanks a lot. Thanks yeah. for having me. Again, thanks a lot, Mike. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next thank time. You. Bye-bye.